Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And y'all, I don't know, we told you at the very beginning of the year, we're going to bring in more interviews and more amazing conversations. And we are getting to do that again today. And we're so excited to have Paco de Leon. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, I am so happy to be here. My name is Paco de Leon, and I'm a personal finance expert and author and illustrator. And I've had lots of different jobs in financial services, and it all kind of collapsed and led me to where I am now, where I do stuff like this. I go on the internet and I talk to people about money. And really my goal is to help people feel less weird about it. And I do that through financial literacy. So educating you on some of the topics trying to make things just more digestible and understandable. But I also love, love, love talking about why we're so weird about money, like what's going on in our feelings and like, let's dig in. And, um, you know, I'm having a great time and uh, I'm so excited to to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm so excited to chat money with you folks. Yes, and we're so excited to talk with you about it because you dig into some things and in, in, in perspectives that I didn't really think about. As a social worker, we talk about a lot of trauma issues and, and related to our stress and our feelings and sickness in our body, but we don't really talk about it. And I've never really correlated it to financial stress and financial uh, thought processes. So looking into what you are doing, I'm like, yeah, oh my God, of course, this should go hand in hand. So I'm so excited that we get to dig into this in this perspective and you're bringing out the conversation about, yeah, let's stop, let's be weird and talk about why it's weird and then normalize it. So I I'm excited to see what you have done and what you continue to do. So thank you for being on. Thanks for having me. First and yes. foremost. 
I would keep saying that because I get really excited when we get to have someone who is so good at something that I'm in awe. I'm like, yes, let me absorb all of your knowledge. I'm flattered. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't be because you're amazing. That's, yes, that's you, you shouldn't be flattered. You should be like, yeah, that's right. Hell yeah. <laughs> but yes, you've been in the financial industry for a while, um, and I know you took a big chance and leap, stepping out of that world into a space of teaching and mentoring people who may not understand or, as you say, feel weird about money and finances, including starting the group Hell Yeah Group. Um, Can you tell us uh, about your group and what made you go that route? Yeah, so the Hell Yeah Group really does two things. The first thing we do is literally what you're experiencing right now. Like I make content and that content ranges, right? Every week I put out a weekly email newsletter called The Nerd Letter. And I have just started a podcast called Weird Finance. Um, We're on the same record label, so to speak, with iHeart. So I'm doing that. (laughs) And, you know, I've written blog posts and I participate aggressively on Instagram when it comes to making content. So we make content. Um, And the other piece is I run a bookkeeping agency. And so my company runs the bookkeeping and accounting for production companies mainly, but we also do it for marketing uh, companies. We do it for interior design firms, event production companies. So any kind of business that has multiple clients and multiple jobs and just like lots of money moving through and it's creative, that's where the space that we play in. And yeah, I mean, so how did I get here? Well, I was a financial planner. I was an associate financial planner in Los Angeles and I felt fancy and my ego was stroked, let me tell you, because I was in this building, mid-Wilshire, marble lobby, beautiful, right? I was like, I'm smart and the world thinks I'm smart and I've made it. So I'm working my way up at this financial planning firm. And, you know, my boss is working with like a lot of Hollywood, behind the camera, executives. Um, Everybody's like a VP in Hollywood is one of the things I learned. So a lot of VPs and then a lot of agents. And so I'm like sitting at the table. I'm like literally rolling calls with my boss. You know, I'm on the I'm on every call. He's he's talking people through all these complex ideas, right? He's ta- he's coaching agents on okay, what's the strategy to to earn more money? How are we going to go to CAA and argue that you need to be paid more? Or okay, oh crap, uh, your marriage is falling apart. How we, you kind of have to take meetings with a bunch of the top attorneys in Los Angeles because once you do that, then your partner can't go to those people, and so like that's how you kind of play defense on that. So I'm like learning all these little tidbits and I feel like what a lot of marginalized people I I recognize feels like when you get this like little slice of privilege, right? When you get your foot in the door and then you just throw throw your body through it into the room, right? And you're sitting at the table, you're like, oh God, uh, I'm grateful and everything. But like maybe there's other people in the world, like all of my friends who are, you know, creative professionals uh, who have no idea how this world works and they can't afford us. That was the craziest revelation. So I eventually, you know, had an existential crisis like we all do. And I thought, how can I take what I've learned and put a roof over my head and food in my belly, but also help the people who need help the most? Can I Can I help them without replicating this business model? And that business model was, you have to have a million dollars to invest with me 
Otherwise, get out of here. I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to talk to you. Is there a way to do that? And so the Hell Yeah group was honestly just an experiment. And it continues to be an experiment, right? The hypothesis is, you know, how can I help the most people? How can I shout the loudest and, and make this accessible and not a complete bore and help people help themselves? I love that. And I love that aspect of like pulling people up with you and not just being the only one. Because we've seen so many conversations and so many people who do not understand just because they got that opportunity that they're the only ones. There's a cap for one or two people. And that's what happens when we have marginalized groups being pitted against each other, which is all uplifting white supremacy and the patriarch and all of that. You know, we always go down that road. But we love hearing about how you look back and like, no, I need to make sure that this is available for everyone because it's so rare to have that moment of realizing it's it's more than me and we need to make this a feasible thing. That's rare? That's... It really You're bumming is. me out here. You're bumming me it's out. Sad, no. Sorry. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> so what I do. Notorious for that. That's kind of what I do. So, okay. best, Welcome so. to the show. <laughs> Got it. Now I know. Now I've managed my expectations. It's perfect. You're prepared. Now you're prepared. <laughs> you know what? And yeah, digging into your site, it had a lot of amazing articles. I know you write for uh, Refinery29 um, and have a lot of good advice on there. Um, something that you wrote that was really fascinating to me, uh, you wrote, clinical levels of depression and anxiety or unhealthy coping mechanism behaviors can develop like overspending and going into debt or taking big financial risks to counteract feeling numb, uh, which Honestly, it made so much sense uh, once you said it, but I would have never connected it because, again, like I said, I kind of do one extreme or the other. And because I do the emotional and trauma level, I didn't really think about the downfall of finances and how it can go into it. Um, Can you talk about that and how overspending and going into debt can be an outcome of depression, anxiety, or unhealthy coping? Yeah. I mean, the thing about our financial behaviors is... I'm not sure why exactly we think that they exist in some kind of a silo, right? Like we think something clicks in our brain and then we're going to deal with our money in a rational way, even if we're like wiling out in other areas of our life, right? So I think it's really important to realize that so much of who we are and how we behave is really interconnected. So, you know, if you grew up in an abusive household, um, emotional or physical, you might have issues with boundaries, And those issues of boundaries, sure, they can look like you hate saying no to your friends when they want to go out. But then when you, when you like double click on that, it's like you hate saying no to your friends when they want to go out. um, So you overspend, right? And then maybe it extends even further. When you're out and you're dining out or going somewhere, you don't speak up because again, you don't, you're letting your boundaries get violated. So you don't say, oh, that restaurant is a little pricey for me. It's out of my budget. Maybe you pick up the tab or you pay for more than you've had, right? Instead of asking, can we, can we, instead of splitting the check equally, because I only, you know, had a salad and some bread, uh, can, can I just pay for my share, right? So there's all these different ways that we see this through line between how we were shaped as adorable young humans and how we behave with money in the future. And I think, I really believe that part of the experience of being a human being on planet earth is to uncover who you are. It's to allow yourself to become the person that you're meant to be. And part of that process is painful. It's revisiting some of the things, you know, the seeds that were planted and those could be, 
you know, traumatic seeds, big T and or little T trauma. Um, but to discover that and to honor that that's part of your story and that's who you are, that I think is the first step in being able to take power back and to kind of alchemize it and to turn it into something that's not just useful to you, but it's useful to other people. And like I've been there. I've I was an under earner for many years. I was a broke financial planner. If you can even wrap your head around like the cognitive <laughs> dissonance of that. And it was painful. Like it was really painful to sit in front of people who went to Harvard and they have a $5 million house and they're killing it. And and then they're walking me through their $10 million house in Beverly Hills. And to be like, I rode my bike here to the job and then I took a bird bath in the lobby because I can't afford <laughs> gas, right? But I let that mm-hmm. pain become something else. I let it alchemize and and I let it change me and I let it give me a perspective. There's no way I'm the only one. If I have a finance degree and an econ minor and I'm struggling, obviously knowing the crap is not the one thing that's going to make me change my behavior with finance. It's all these ways that I've been programmed. It's all these internalizations of narratives, right? Talk about the patriarchy and talk about the wage gap. I really internalized the crap out of those things. And I believed... I just wasn't worth as much as someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I'm bumming you out, Samantha. <laughs> hey, equal opportunity. I like it though. That makes it a reality. <laughs> this is how I internalize all the things. I'm like, yes, give me the truth. And then I'll just cry about it later. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun times here. <laughs> Something else you talked about was the window of tolerance. Can you explain that for us? Yeah. So there's this psychiatrist by the name of Daniel J. Siegel. And he coined the term, the window of tolerance. And I learned about this actually when I took a course, um, an online course called The Trauma of Money. There, It's put on by um, Chantal Chapman and Hero. I, I'm going to say her last name wrong, so I'm not going to say it. But they're the ones who exposed me to this. So the window of tolerance is a tool created by this, this psychiatrist to kind of help you evaluate where you are at in terms of your state. And what that means is, so the window of tolerance is a scale from one to 10. And, you know, the extremes, we'll say the window is actually four to seven, and then one to three, and then eight to 10, those are extremes. You always want to be in that window because when you're in that window, you are able to deal with life's ups and downs in a normal, healthy way, right? Like somebody um, acts like a dick to you at the grocery store and then you don't like slap them. You know what I mean? You're able to just like take a deep breath and be like, you're bumming me out, dude. Whatever it is, I know it's not me, right? Like that's being in your window of tolerance. When you're outside of your window of tolerance, you are either like super hyper or you're super like numbed out. So let's put this in the context of of money, right? So when you're outside of your window, you might feel really, really anxious. And that could look like that could look like just feeling frantic, right? Like emailing your accountant four times in a row instead of just like taking a pause, collecting everything you need to collect, or downloading like three budgeting apps and just like toggling back and forth and frantically trying to like be productive or like get something done, but you're so anxious, right? And the other end of, of that spectrum is kind of what we talked about. It's like the the behavior is more kind of checking out, numbing out, like ignoring, kind of like being an ostrich, putting your head in the sand. And I mean, that's like never looking at your bank accounts, never like not even knowing what your credit card balance is. Yeah, just being withdrawn. And so 
the way that I talk about the window of tolerance is, well, it's really important to understand where you are when you're making big financial decisions, because if you're outside of your window of tolerance, you're actually, you're not, you're not just not equipped to make a decision. And I love this analogy that I always make. It's like when you go to the grocery store hungry. I promise you, because you know, we've all done this, right? You're going to just make bad decisions. You're going to buy like, you know, $100 worth of things that can't even be made into a dinner that night, right? And so in the same way that you should like eat a granola bar before you go to the grocery store, you should evaluate where am I in my window of tolerance right now before I call Bank of America to ask them to lower my interest rate? And if I'm outside of the window, what do I need to do to get into it, right? And depending on where you're at, you will do different things. If you're feeling hyper, maybe you need to like pet your dog a bunch and then take three deep breaths. If you're feeling withdrawn, maybe you need to like jump up and down and blast Beyonce's album while you're like fist pumping. So <laughs> that's the window of tolerance. Okay, have you been spying on me? Why, why would you do this? Why would you call me out like this? <laughs> you feel attacked? I, just a little bit, but it's okay. It's okay, I like it. <laughs> Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
We loved seeing all of these real-life applications when you bring out these analogies and, and let us know, like, this is what it is. And we, again, like I said, relate too well to them. It's kind of like, oh, having that moment of realization of like, oh, this is a thing. This I'm not alone, obviously, because you talk about it, so it can't be just me. Thank goodness. Um, but the reality is these are things that have a lot of effect on our lives and how we move forward in our lives, uh, especially when knowing that money does rule quite a bit of it. You don't want it to, but it does. Um, and it does affect how you may feel that day or the big decisions that you need to make, whether it's buying a car, buying a house, not buying a car, not buying a house. There's so many things to add to that and understanding that level, that window of tolerance, as well as the trauma and then your reactions to it. It's, it's so uh, beneficial but again, it's not talked about enough. Um, and I think this has a lot to do with just the awkwardness and the taboo of finances, which you talk a lot about and you're going to talk more about. I'm really excited about the podcast. Um, and you've talked about in your book. And as someone who has struggled until recently, and I mean recently because we've talked about this a lot, we know in social work you don't get a lot of money. I thought I was doing this for the people, but then really wearing myself down and realizing, oh, I need to overcompensate by having two other jobs. Um, and it felt embarrassing to have to do all these things. And again, I had a hard time not seeing it as taboo uh, or not seeing it as a shameful thing or just too weird and too honestly like uh, awkward to bring up. And in your books and in your uh, conversations that you have, you t give advice on how to go beyond that. Um, so what advice do you give to those who are trying to confront those taboos? And why do you think this is important? Oh, wow. That is a loaded question. We could be here all day <laughs> talking about that. Let's go. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think there's one overarching theme that we can all relate to when it comes to why we don't talk about money. And we can see it just in, we can see it probably a lot in our families. There are people who I talk to who are like, nope, me and my family, my parents always talked to me about money at the dinner table. We like talked about, we just talked about money. The great majority of people that I've spoken with, they did, it's just not something they spoke about with their parents. Like I remember maybe when I was like in junior high, I one day asked my mom how much money she made. She told me at the time, but I could feel energetically. She was like, why is my kid asking me how much money I make? You know, it just wasn't, it's not encouraged, I think, within families. And then you see that like in society at large. Like if you walk to somebody, you walked up to somebody at a dinner party and you were like, so it's tax, it's tax season right now, right? Let's say you go to a dinner party next weekend and you're like, hey, it's tax season. Did you file your taxes? Like, How much did you make last year? People will be like, what is your deal? That's weird. And I don't want to answer that, right? <laughs> and so there's another way that that is reinforced. And to me, the weirdest way that this gets reinforced, and we're breaking, we're we're slowly chipping away at this. Like legislation has been passed in New York and Los Angeles, where I think this is going to change. But in the workplace, of all the places, we don't talk about money, which is crazy because we're we like you know, pack our lunch and then we go to the office, and then we're just like, hi, coworker, friends, hello, da da da. da. We're not there. I mean, of course we're there because our jobs can be meaningful, like you were mentioning, Samantha. But at the end of the day, if they didn't pay us, we wouldn't go there. We wouldn't do the work. And so like that's very clear and direct, but then we're not allowed to talk about it with one another. We're not allowed to be like, hey, how much are you getting paid? Or, hey, let's all band together and be like, this guy takes 90%. Just take 80% and give us a little... You know what I mean? There's just... 
it's not encouraged. And so I think it's like this, this tinge over how we behave with money is that in all these areas, it is a big fat no-no to talk about money, right? So now I've set the stage. How do we deal with this? I think we start talking about money and we could do this in a lot of ways. In ways that you, in relationships where you feel safe, like close friendships, family, you can start to just say, hey, listen, I've realized that I've felt weird about talking about money and I would like to start having more open conversations. I was wondering if maybe you felt that way and if you'd like to participate. And, you know, we don't have to get like, you know, fully naked, but you could just start to say things like, um, what do you love spending money on? Like, what's your favorite thing to spend money on? And you could, you know, that's one way to start the conversation. Or you could say, um, you know, if if you didn't have to care about your paycheck, you know, what work would you do? And why do you value that? So positioning the conversation, not just around like how much is in your bank account, but more like what do you value in the world? And how do you joyfully interact with money? I think is like a nice putting your toe into the talking about money waters. I like that. And of course, wait, listening to weird finance. Yes, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> obviously, which we will get to. But first, we want to talk about something else you did because you've done so many things. Yeah. Um, you also wrote a book, congratulations. Yes, thank um, you. No easy feat, um, called Finance for the People. Can you talk about the book and why you decided to write it? Yeah, I wrote the book because I knew that if I didn't, I would regret it. <laughs> <laughs> I think about my younger self, like I think about 15-year-old Paco and I think about 80-year-old Paco. And when I make decisions, I go to them and I'm like, guys, game plan. Are we like, do you think this is a cool 15-year-old Paco? Is your (laughs) mind blown that current Paco is doing this? Great, I'm going to do it. Then I go to 80-year-old Paco and I'm like, girl, Mm -hmm. do you need to look back at this and know that you made it? And she's like, of course. And then so that's kind of how I frame a lot of my decisions career-wise, but that's not the question. Um, the question is, <laughs> why did I write the book? I mean, I felt the book is a is a community service, in my opinion. And like, let me tell you, a book is kind of a lottery ticket in terms of money. You know, people are not these days... There are people, of course, who sell a million books and they get really rich, but the great majority of people who are writing books, it's kind of like a really painful... Um, marketing thing, right? It's like a way to get your foot in the door. And so even though it required so much excavation and so much energy, I really just needed to create a resource for people that felt like there are no resources for me. The only people talking about this are just weird. They're doing it in such a guilty, weird you know, talking about hell and stuff kind of a way. And like, that's just not my jam, you know? So I just wanted to bring the vibes when talking about money. And yeah, I I just really wanted to help people. And if I would not have written it if I thought, okay, there's a good book out there that I could refer people to. So when I think about my own financial planning journey, when I went to school, I wish that this book had existed. And also like part, like a big kernel of truth is... uh too many people were annoying me with their questions. And I thought, okay, if I just put them all in a manual. (laughs) And so now like, this is so messed up, but like 
random people who are like acquaintances, they'll, they'll reach out and be like, Hey, can you tell me about um, how I get started investing? And I'll be like, chapter 15, bro. I love you. Chapter 15. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Cause we're going to be asking specific things that you wrote in the book. No, so. this is perfect. This is great because I can your gonna, answers. Just it's going to be perfect. It's good. It's a perfect setup, right? For people to dig in more. <laughs> we're just going to give a preview for our listeners so they have to go and buy the book and understand this is really needed. And it, it is. There's so much good information in it, as well as exercises uh, to break down the taboos, finance, debt, and wealth in this. I really enjoyed that. As well as the illustrations. Amazing. You did that, right? I did. Yeah. Thank you. It's so good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but uh, for so many of us who grew up with boomers, uh, again, money was something that was thought of as private and impolite to talk about. And you correlate that with the basis of trauma, as we talked about earlier, which, again, makes sense. How did you come to this correlation? Why do you think it's important to address the trauma in relation to finance? Um, and why do you think it needs to be broken down that and I know the answer, but I want you to say it in like in the way that is an exercise for us to have tangible uh, solutions. Okay, yeah. I kept seeing that people were not acting in their best interest when it came to money. And that was curious to me. So I would go, what's going on there? Okay, what's the common denominator? One of the other things that I thought was really interesting was you could, like, it didn't matter how much money people made, right? Even people who were making just barely enough to get by and people who were making a million dollars, tons of money, uh, they struggled with the same thing, right? Why are you not acting in your best interest? And then I struggled with it too. Again, the cognitive dissonance of having a finance degree, having an economics minor, being in a financial planning firm where I'm an associate financial planner and being like, what? I'm really struggling with my finances in a very rudimentary elementary way. Like I'm just not earning enough and I can't get myself to negotiate. I can't get myself to speak up and stand up for myself. And I'm like caught in this, in this chaotic kind of whirlwind of everything feels unsafe and everything feels uh, uncertain. And it took me a while, but you know, I'm from California. This is a very California answer. I started meditating somewhere between 2010 and 2013. I can't really remember when the practice was like full on, but I started playing around with it because I had heard about a lot of successful people doing it. And I was like, oh, I sh it seems like it's free and you just sit there. So let me just see what this is all about. And the power of meditation is it allows you to not be so attached to every thought you think. And I think our society has a big problem with this where somebody believes something and then, then they think that is who they are. It doesn't have to be. It could just be like your current perspective on the picture of life and all the players. And you can change. You can change your, you can look at things from new angles. You can pretend to be another person in the story and look at that perspective. And, and you can see how like in a big, big way that would make society a better place. But on a smaller level too, it helps us just not feel so attached to the pain, right? The things that have happened to me, the way that I have been um, mistreated and and the injustices, yes, they're real, but let's not identify too closely to them because once you do that, 
I think it's then hard, again, you have these blinders on and then it's really hard to try to come at life and solutions from other angles. And yeah, being able to do that was the first step for me because then I wasn't so activated every time I looked back on these very traumatic experiences, these very traumatic events. I could kind of look at them with a sense of awe and wonder and be like, huh, that's interesting that the way that I grew up where I felt like everything was a little chaotic and I never felt entirely safe because I went to 13 years of Catholic school and they told me that if you're gay, you're real, real, you're messed up at your core kid. And I never felt like I could share who I was and I never thought I could be who I was. Hmm. That's really interesting that that is bleeding into, I can't ask for what I want because once I say I need more money, man, you're going to fire me or my livelihood's going to be taken away or you're we're not going to be cool anymore. This good relationship I have with my boss, it's going to be killed, right? So I had to learn how to address, how to even look at those core wounds in a way that I wasn't just going to have a breakdown and just spiral out. And I and I really credit meditation to helping me do that. That's awesome. Yeah, and I know uh, you do write a lot about that in your articles as well. And yeah, kind of going back to, because I added so many questions, why do you feel like tangible exercises like meditation and uh, like these exercises that you put in the book at the end, why do you think that's important for us to undo some of that? So the exercises are important because, you know, if you've spent any time exploring the world of self-help, pretty much everybody, not pretty much everybody, but a lot of people kind of point to this and I've already pointed to this, this concept, this idea that the state you're in really matters, right? And we can look at this from different angles, right? We can look at this from like a biological perspective and say like your nervous system, how you have to learn how to regulate your nervous system because if you don't, you're in a constant state of stress. When you're in a constant state of stress, you're making decisions, again, that are not based in cognition. You're just reacting. You're having this stress response. You're always kind of like, you know, about to burst. And that's just, that's no way to live with your money. And that's no way to live in general, right? It's like you, you're not showing up as your best partner in your, in your partnerships. You're not showing up. You're just not showing up as your best version of yourself. And that's a disservice to you. That's a disservice to everybody around you. So these tangible exercises, they help you recognize that we have the power to change our feelings, which is insane. In the moment, we have the power to change our feelings. And in the long term, we can teach our brain how to lean towards other tendencies, right? And so now we're looking at this from like a neurological, neurobiological perspective, right? So the the exercises are are ways to kind of click in and to snap you out of the state that you're in. Um, And they're also tools. They're tools that Mm -hmm. have worked for other people and and finding the tool for you is what's important. And so I want to expose these tools to people. For some people, sitting quietly will work. For other people, they have to take a walk. Somebody else might really want to just like stare at trees for 15 minutes. But the point is you have to find tools. Like, uh, yeah, there's. it's really fascinating that humanity, human beings, we use tools all the time. I'm using a pen, right. we're using a computer, but we have these kind of internal like, control C tools that we can use. We just more, I think more people need to normalize and talk about it. And as a side note, I did, I loved your open-ended questions at the end and, and, and having people really think through a lot of things, whether it was from being about grateful or how you thought about debt. It was such a great way to wrap up that chapter to take what you have already written and then apply it to ourselves. So fantastic job with that. 
Thank you. And can I also put a button on that and say that, you know, a lot of people learn by just absorbing information. Like I love to just put a book on like two speed and just jam it into my brain. Not everybody's like that, you know? Like yeah. my partner is not like that. She needs <laughs> to mechanically grab a thing and then kind of work through something and then she understands the process and the tools, the exercises, it's a way for those people to dig in and to actually go through the process themselves. So it really sticks. Mm-hmm. Yes. We're all about that too. So. Yes. Love it. Love it. Perfect. <laughs> Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Pedigree. True love is always being excited from the first moment you see one another and every time after that. It's taking long walks together in the summer, gazing longingly into each other's eyes and, well, watching their tail wag when they chase a squirrel in the yard. The Pedigree brand asked about believing in love at first sight. And honestly, the answer is yes. And I know you listeners know my love, Peaches Gertrude McFuzzin, whom I've talked about so much. And she really was love at first sight. But I will tell you that it took a long time for me to find her. I actually was looking for a good two years before I stumbled upon her picture from my local shelter and knew the moment I saw her that she was the one. And the minute I tell you when I saw that picture and I went to meet her out the shelter and I sat with her for a good 20 minutes, y'all, I couldn't leave her. I knew she had to be mine. I knew we belonged together. Peaches and I are friends as well. We are, we have a good relationship together. So. You can find love at first sight with the Pedigree Adoption Drive June 7th to 9th, and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive 
to learn more about the adoption drive and to see full terms and conditions. Something else that you talk about is social media and the exploitation of social media. And we talk about that a lot, too, on this show, um, especially how social media often targets young girls and women's with ads and marketings and all the the dangers inherent in that. Um, And that can be unrealistic expectations or just greedy corporations. Um, What have you noticed as industries, as these industries continue to grow, what advice do you give to those who may be perhaps easily influenced or just like media literacy, maybe if they've been scammed before through social media? I'm one of those who gets easily influenced. I'm like, ooh, that looks fun. Let me buy that. (laughs) So I think there's a a bunch of different ways that we can approach this question. There's, let's do one that's practical and then we'll do one that's a little bit more feely. So practical advice for navigating the fact that you have a tiny mechanical electronic billboard that knows with uh, artificial intelligence that knows you probably better than you know yourself and what you want and what you desire. It makes you feel bad uh, because you're comparing yourself to others, right? It's part of the whole deal of social media. You're scrolling, you're seeing how other people are living and you feel bad, you feel bad, you feel bad. And then, oh, guess what? If you buy this, you will feel good. That's what's going on there. They make you feel bad and they make you feel good. This is how selling works. Just think about an infomercial. The infomercial, in your mind's eye, visualize an infomercial. It's always like black and white and somebody struggling with something stupid, like coiling a hose. And it's like all dramatized, right? And they're like, is, are you struggling with coiling a hose? That's them agitating it. They're saying, you have a problem, pain, 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 pain. And then it turns to color and they're like, we have a solution for your pain. Social media is doing the same thing, right? They're making you feel pain and then they're saying, we'll take the pain away if you buy this sweater. So practically, one of the ways you can combat this without being like completely withdrawn from society is setting up a buy list. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Um, It is a list where you put things that you want to buy on and the things that you, like specifically, it's when a social media advertisement is trying to get you to buy something. That's when you would put that thing on a buy list because it's impulsive, right? And uh, you put it on the buy list and you make your list cute. Like you can organize it however you want. You can add little thumbnails. You can really be like, you could write about it. Be like, I want this sweater because this is the kind of person it's going to make me feel like I'm going to become. Like enjoy your buy list. And then put up a rule and your your rule is, I'm not going to buy anything on the buy list um, until it's been on the list for at least 24 hours. Or you might say 48 hours, or you might say one week. And the reason why this buy list works is because the experience of shopping, not just the buying, creates like a dopamine response. Like it feels good, right? Dopamine is this drug of desire and of like feel goodiness, right? And the experience of shopping, the Am I going to buy it? Am I not going to buy it? What size do I want? Everything that leads up to the actual transaction, the tr- you're you're getting dopamine. So this is a way for you to still get that feel-good feeling without av- actually having to pay. The other thing that's less practical when it comes to navigating social media is, I mean, and I already talked about this earlier, is we really have to know ourselves and we really have to know who we are and what we want and we have to take actions in our lives 
that allow us to build self-confidence and to feel confident in ourselves and to feel unapologetic. If you're a weirdo or you really like math, I don't know why I said that, like, because people think that's nerdy, I guess. Whatever, if you do something in your life that society wants to put you down for, but, you know, you're not hurting anyone and it's just what you're into, allow yourself to do that thing and to build confidence. And for me, at least, that's what I see a correlation between people who who take action in their lives regularly and build that confidence and their ability to be like, I don't need to feel pushed to do what other people are doing and to put myself in debt or to overspend or to buy a thing that I don't need because I'm confident in my weird self. And that's it. That's the vibe. It's a good vibe. <laughs> I like that vibe. I'm going to try that by list though. I will. Um, okay, so we're about to go down a little darker road. Again, this is my thing. I apologize. But when it comes to finance, we can't talk about it without talking about some of the the dark past and dark history of it, and even just the dark indications of it today, such as things like credit scores and high-risk loans that often target and penalize those who live from paycheck to paycheck. These people are often already marginalized people due to their monetary stance or uh, any of those abilities to get the better jobs or whatnot, not being able to go to college, not being able to get the loan, all of those things. Um, and as someone who has worked behind the scenes in the finance world, what have you witnessed when it comes to the predatory practice? behind uh, financial companies like this. Oh, you want stories is what you want. I do. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So when I was graduating college, the last two years I worked as a debt collector for a very big bank. And actually I felt not terrible working that job because people were coming to me or I was reaching out to people and they were saying, I'm struggling. And I would say more than half, 75%, even maybe even more. They were just, you know, it was an oversight or it was, you know, some kind of unexpected expense. It wasn't something crazy. Like one time a guy hit a deer two times in a month and that's why he had to deal with that. And I was like, I'm from California. I never heard that. Mm-hmm. But it was a job after that. That was really crazy. <laughs> I went to a job fair in college and I spoke to this guy who's the manager for a firm that no longer um, is around. So I maybe I could talk about it. Hopefully nobody sues me or anything, but <laughs> the firm was called Wells Fargo Financial. And it's like some subsidiary of Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo is a regional bank that mostly exists in the West. And if you just Google like Wells Fargo... And like, there's a lot of articles about how crappy they were to their customers. So I'm like, you know, 21, don't really know anything. This guy sells me the job. And so this is summer of 2008, right after the housing crisis, or as we're kind of heating up and the ass is falling out of the housing market. And um, everyone's sort of waking up and realizing, rut row, um, we let like all these people get mortgages that they shouldn't have gotten. And the big reason why is because we just believed what the sales guy who was trying to sell them the thing, right? The loan. We just believed what he put down on the application. And right. So like if I was going to go, you know, buy a house, the guy who was trying to sell me that loan because he gets a commission would you know, would ask me like, how much money do you make and kind of massage it so that I would write, we could agree on a number that would get me approved for the loan. And then ultimately I couldn't afford the loan because it was a lie, right? It's an extreme example, but it was happening. Like if you watch the big short, they talk all about that. 
So I got this job and the first three weeks of the job, you just sit on a computer and you do training. It's so boring. You put in your headphones and then the bank walks you through all this training, anti-money laundering training, how to use the software, da, 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 da. And I remember kind of like pulling off my headphones and listening to my coworkers talk. And in the first three weeks, it's all these people who are cold calling and they're speaking to people who barely speak English, who are elderly. They're trying to encourage them to take out a line of credit where, where they would refinance a car that is paid off, which is a depreciating asset, which means it loses its value over time. And there's no, makes no sense to leverage, to take out more debt with that collateral. Um, and so, and then, you know, when they couldn't make the sell, they would bring in the manager, the guy who sold me this damn job and he would try to push, push, push. And so after sitting there for three weeks, I had to quit that job because I was like, wow, you guys told me this was a different job. First of all, not cold calling. Second of all, not selling dog to old people. So that... Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of stories like that because as soon as I feel like this is mad sketchy, I just bounced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that's uh, horrendous. It makes me think about what happens oftentimes with the elderly who even today is getting calls by people will sell, will buy your house for this amount of cash and not realizing what's happening. Right. And it's so ugly to see that this practice is okay somehow. Right. Yeah, it's... Um... It's rough out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Well, speaking of, how do you think that people who are being preyed upon can best protect themselves from these things? I think it's really important to realize and recognize that you shouldn't ask a barber if you need a haircut. And what I mean by that ultimately (laughs) is we are driven by incentives. If I could just back up a little bit and say those people working at Wells Fargo Financial and all of the stuff that happened in 2008 and what led up to it, those people were acting within a system and that system was rewarding bad behavior. So it's less about this one individual was a jerk. Yes, while that might be true, what was happening is you have these people that are incentivized to behave badly. And so I think once you plug that into your head and you recognize that that's how you should view some of these interactions. Like, are these people being incentivized to sell me a loan or a financial product because they get paid That's and that's the only way they get paid? Hmm. If that's the case, then maybe I should get a second opinion or maybe I should try to find somebody who's not selling me based on that incentive, right? So first understanding incentives, I think is a really good perspective kind of parcel to that. The way that I always think about lending and financial products, I think, how can I be screwed here? What is the most I could be screwed? And I try to ask questions around that. So particularly with lending and loans, in my book, I think I have at least 10 questions, maybe there's 15 that I've listed out that can help guide you with navigating whether a product is right for you. And then particularly, I just want to say this with insurance because we see this a lot with insurance. Insurance is a tool to protect against loss and it is not a tool for gaining. Very rarely are people in a position where they're using, where they should be using insurance for gaining. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm going to say you, you just shouldn't be. It, it's, a, it's a tool to protect against loss and not for gaining. So if anyone is ever trying to come at you 
and you're not like super, super, super wealthy and you need to find ways to jam money into places because you have, you know, it's so much going on and you have tax issues. If they're like, you should buy this insurance product and here's how it's beneficial. Remember, it's you don't buy insurance to benefit. You buy insurance so that you don't lose as much if something crazy happens. Yeah, I know in your book, you talk a lot about that and it was really, really important to listen to. I was like, oh, this is the things that I need because I'm very confused by insurance already. Same. <laughs> especially since it varies in different states. Right. <laughs> Same. It's confusing. Can I just say something that about insurance that I think is really like, I think why it's confusing because like, and I say this in the book, when you go to the store, like if you sit down at a restaurant and you buy a tuna sandwich, you, you're going to eat the tuna sandwich. It's going to appear in front of you. If you buy insurance, you hope you never, ever have to be calling in a claim. It's like one of those weird things where it's just even the product itself is, it's vague and it's not like a thing. It's very bizarre. <laughs> it, is, it is. I was thinking about that with like house insurance, if like a uh, house burns or whatever, it's so difficult to go through the hoops and then you think you knew what you were getting and you really don't. <laughs> totally. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in, for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Pedigree. True love is always being excited from the first moment you see one another and every time after that. It's taking long walks together in the summer, gazing longingly into each other's eyes and, well, watching their tail wag when they chase a squirrel in the yard. The Pedigree brand asked about believing in love at first sight. And honestly, the answer is yes. And I know you listeners know my love Peaches Gertrude McFuzzin, whom I've talked about so much, and she really was love at first sight. But I will tell you, 
that it took a long time for me to find her. I actually was looking for a good two years before I stumbled upon her picture from my local shelter and knew the moment I saw her that she was the one. And the minute I tell you when I saw that picture and I went to meet her out the shelter and I sat with her for a good 20 minutes, y'all, I couldn't leave her. I knew she had to be mine. I knew we belonged together. Peaches and I are friends as well. We are, we have a good relationship together. So you can find love at first sight with the Pedigree Adoption Drive June 7th to 9th. And the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more about the adoption drive and to see full terms and conditions. I do want to talk a little bit more because especially when we talk about predatory and abusive practices, uh, we've talked previously before um, on the show about financial abuse um, and how it's often used to keep those who are in domestic violence situations or in abusive situations from being able to leave uh, those dangerous situations. And one thing that seemed kind of obvious but doesn't get talked a lot about uh, enough about is how the system, when I say the system, the patriarchy in itself, created a structure of power through I would say tradition, traditional gender roles um, as a way to keep women in marginalized communities in these oppressive situations. And digging into your book, you do t- talk a little bit about the system as it was set up. Um, and in, in your studies, what have you seen that continues to hold that type of structure up today? And how do we as a society, do you think, try to break it down when it comes to debt and finance? Man, if I really knew the answer to this, I'd be a president of the world. So <laughs> you just lead with that. Should be. <laughs> oh, gosh. How do we as individuals fight against a system that has been created for us to not have power? I think there's a lot of different ways. I think we can do things um, individually. Um, one of the reasons why I I tell the history of of a lot of things when it comes to finance is because I think it's important for people to realize some of this stuff is not that old. Like 401ks mm-hmm. came out in the 1970s. Credit cards were, you know, like in the 50s. Um, credit scores, not that old. And one of the things I think that we're struggling with so much is the fact that like our grandmothers couldn't have bank accounts and credit cards. And our mothers, right. our right. mothers, when they were really little, like it, that's how it was. And you know what I mean? So women are just mm-hmm. starting to, in the grand scheme of things, are just starting to get money. And so I think time, I think over time as you know, future generations are born into a society where they don't need to have their dad to help them get a credit card mm-hmm. and their mom didn't either. Um, I think that's really what's going to change things. I think understanding the power and the value of people within a community, I think is also another way to kind of, I don't want to say dismantle, but at least throw a wrench into the gears of the system, right? Where you, instead of mm-hmm. like allowing the financialization and the hyper-individualization of everything overtake you, where you're dedicating so much of your mm-hmm. time and and everything to the almighty dollar, um, invest, mm-hmm. give your time and your energy into community as much as you can. Because again, once I know that it's, it's tough out there, but I think that's also one weird, interesting way to kind of subvert power. Um, and, you know, hire, right. hire women, pay women, pay them what you pay a man, um, hire 
people of color. Right. Pay them what you would pay a white person. You know, hire (laughs) trans people, pay them what you would pay a cis person. You know, there's ways within the system, I think, where we can exercise our power. I wish I had, you know, a magic wand and, and a better answer for you. Well, you know, you you make the statement, and I think it it shows to a lot of who you are. It's, you say, I want to have power because I don't want it wielded over me. Becoming empowered in a society that doesn't want me to be empowered is one of the most, one of the single most radical actions I can take. And I love that. I love that look into what that is, the turning the power into empowerment, and how you use that, obviously, in this book and the podcast for others to come along with you. So I think even if you don't have the answers, you definitely have taken steps to really break that down. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you. It's 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 really my my pleasure. I feel like such a call to help people and to just talk about it. I I have a gift. The gift is that I I can talk about money. I can make people feel really at ease when it comes to conversations with money. Mm-hmm. And I know that's what made me good in all these financial services jobs. It's what made me a good collector. I didn't I made somebody feel comfortable and seen and I was empathetic. And I'm just so happy. I'm so glad that technology exists and I can do this on a on a larger platform that I can speak to more people and that I can help people feel better. It's what I, if I didn't do mm-hmm. that with that gift, what a, what a waste. So I'm, thank you for having me on the show and, and thank you for helping me amplify my message. Yeah. Well, speaking of, uh, you do have a podcast coming out about finance, um, specifically weird finance, as we've been talking about alluding to this whole time. Can you tell our listeners about it? Yeah. Weird Finance is a podcast that is trying to help people feel less weird about money one conversation at a time. And I'm going to be speaking to experts in the field. So I'll talk to financial planners. I'll talk to attorneys that specialize in estate planning. I'll try to speak to insurance people to help us understand insurance. But I'm not just going to limit these conversations to professionals. I want to talk to people who are navigating the system. And specifically, I'm speaking to entrepreneurs and freelancers. And the reason why I'm choosing that group of people is because they're in this system where they have to do everything. They have to understand how to price themselves, right? How to charge a certain rate and how they arrived to that rate. They have to have the conversation, make the sale. They have to do the invoicing. And so I think that they have a unique and, you know, it's just a different perspective about money and they're forced to confront it on a regular basis. They think about risk differently. Um, And so I'm going to ask super nosy questions, you know, whoever will tell me, uh, you know, what, uh, how much they made or, um, you know, what are some of the things that they've struggled with? What were their financial fumbles? I'm definitely going to try to get some financial confessions um, on air, but the, it's all in the name of of releasing this idea that we can't talk about money, releasing this idea that it's taboo. And I think the more you hear people talking about it, the more comfortable we're all going to be. And in a high tide, all boats rise. And I think you know, I'm just trying to help people navigate the system, feel better about their finances and make a little bit of progress every week. And I, we did get kind of like a tease from your producer, super producer, Ramsey, who let us know that you're going to have some atypical guests yes, as well as the typical, like, I think we heard something about, I don't know, financial kink, maybe yep. some therapy. Like, I was like, <laughs> what is all of this? Yeah. This is amazing. So it's not your typical. Definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> financial 
information. I spoke with a financial dominatrix and a financial astrologer. That's amazing. And we're really, I mean, when I say weird, it's weird because we're weird about it. It's weird because money is weird. We all just have this society-wide delusion that this thing is valuable, you know? And how Mm -hmm. you can double click Mm -hmm. on certain kind of aspects of the world of finance and see that it's a lot weirder than what meets the eye. And I'm just, the more I get into my career, the more I realize, well, I don't know anything. And um, and I'm curious. And I'm going to play the role for the listener of asking dumb questions. So I hope everybody enjoys hearing me ask dumb questions and explore the world of money. Yeah, because obviously, as you can tell, I need all of the straightforward, (laughs) basic answers. I got you. But I also love being entertained. So this is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, and for those who are venturing on trying to make smart financial decisions, what basic advice would you give them? Hmm. So we already talked about the state that you're in that's really important. So starting to recognize Mm -hmm. how you feel when you're interacting with your money, when you're looking at your statements, when you are interacting with authority figures like your accountant, how how are you, like, how do you feel in your body? Um, One other really practical thing that I think everybody can do is this idea of splitting the check. Um, We've all gone out to dinner with friends. We've all split that check, right? We split it up between whoever we're having dinner with. I want to encourage people to do that with their paycheck. And what I mean by that is thinking about splitting your paycheck into three broad categories, your essentials, which I call your bills in life, your non-essentials, which I call your fun and BS, and your things for your future self, which I call your future and goals. When you think about your spending in this really broad context, I think it allows you to kind of feel a little bit lighter and freer and you're not so like zoned in on like every single line item. And when I say split the check, I mean literally split the check. You split up your essential finances and your non-essential finances into two separate checking accounts. That way you know, okay, I'm taking care of my essentials. I'm putting money for my future. Everything in this other fun and BS checking account, if I wanted to buy 100 pieces with it, I could buy 100 pizzas with it. Like it's free to spend. And I think that again, kind of shifts the relationship from, oh no, can I spend this money to how how would I like to spend this money? So you go from scarcity to more abundance. That is great advice. And honestly, we had more questions for you, but <laughs> we're going a bit long. So we'll, we'll stop it here. Um, but we can always check out the podcast or have you back. It could be yeah. a thing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Down to do it. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can the good listeners find you. You can follow me on Instagram at the Hell Yeah Group. I also put out a weekly email newsletter called the Nerd Letter, and you can sign up if you go to thehellyeahgroup.com. Awesome. And also, you have a podcast. As this comes out, <laughs> your podcast will be out. Um, so you can find that. Weird Finance uh, is coming out February 19th, I think. That's it. Yeah. Wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. Go check that out, listeners. Thank you again so much for joining us, Paco. Uh, We hope that we can count you as a friend. Thank you. Yeah, like I said, we've got so many more questions. We need you to come (laughs) on to our show. Tell us what to do with our money that we don't have. I'm super down. Yeah, let's do this again. I mean, it feels like, again, we could do this for hours. So I'm happy to come back and chat with with you folks. Maybe we can get some like listener-generated questions and kind of go from there. 
Ooh, Ooh yeah. Yes, Love that idea. Love cool. that idea. All right, we'll <laughs> schedule out a date. Um, in the meantime, listeners, if you'd like to contact us, you can. Our email is stephanieandmomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast or on Instagram and TikTok at Stefo Never Told You. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina. Thank you, Christina. And thanks to you for listening. Stefo Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Pedigree. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it is closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more about the adoption drive and to see full terms and conditions. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.